Hey friends, before the show I'd like to plug the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At their storefront, shop.terracottadistribution.com, you'll find a wide range of Asian DVDs and Blu-rays from Kim Kidak to Jackie Chan, from Ho Shao Shen to Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, aka the Japanese Evil Dead. This was even put out on a limited run VHS, folks. New titles are being added regularly, and if you go to shop.terracottadistribution.com and enter the discount code POFN. 10 that's p-o-f-n-1-0 this gives podcast on fire network listeners 10 percent off at checkout the discount code is p-o-f-n-10 and visit shop.terracottadistribution.com for more and let's get on with the show Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Born to be King, and those were the days. It's the last adventure of the Hong Hing boys, uh, who conclude their six-movie run that started in 1996, uh, and uh, they ended up here in 2000 with Born to be King, the sixth installment in the Young and Dangerous series. Also in 2000, perhaps as a way of making up for his absence in Part 5, Jordan Chan's appealing character of Chicken gets his own prequel spin-off origin story movie that was given the title Those Were the Days, which was awfully common in the 90s Hong Kong cinema. This is like the sixth or seventh movie that is called that, including one that uh, Jordan Chan is in. So Chicken's backstory gets revealed by the director of Portland Street Blues. My name is Kenny B, and with me is uh, Paul Fox of the East Screen West Screen uh, podcast, and we, we are concluding the series of films, but we still have two ones left to cover a couple of leftovers to do in the next episode so paul we're nearly done you you, i'm letting you off the hook next episode well hey it's good to be here and it's been a bit of a marathon with these films but it's also been nice to sort of revisit them and see how they all kind of neatly fit together and i think that it's good to kind of take them in a timely manner because I remember watching them originally. I watched many of them out of order and I wasn't really paying too much attention to a lot of the the plot threads. So I have a new appreciation for some of the writing, I think, with uh, people like uh, Manfred Wong and, and others um, who've kept certain points of continuity throughout uh, in line uh, other points maybe not so much but we'll get into that in a little bit and then newly found disdain for andrew Lau. oh yeah no just kidding <laughs> put him uh, words not, in your mouth not newly found <laughs> it was always there uh but uh, yeah what, what we do is to, to sort of reveal uh, reveal uh, the plans here for, for the next episode and the final in the young and dangerous ones uh, unless we find another idea is uh, the young and dangerous prequel that was uh, produced in 98 i'd like to say uh, and also paul uh, recommended uh, the 
cost reunion reunion movie that has nothing to do with Young and Dangerous, but the cost reunion movie made in 2018 called The Golden Job, where uh, where the guys have uh, grown up and uh, are gonna do a heist of some sort, but they're not Hong Hing elders or anything. And uh, that will uh, obviously be uh, in your podcast archive as a review already, but uh, maybe you haven't seen it for uh, for a couple of years, so it will be like a little fairly fresh. Uh, uh, viewing, but uh, regardless, uh, uh, that is a movie directed by Chin Kalok, so um, he is also in front of the camera. And I guess the only one they were missing in that movie, I want to say Jason Chu out of the main boys, or was he in it? As a matter of fact, no, I don't think he was even, I don't think he made a cameo even. So, um, uh, for all your Jason Chu fans, tough luck, he's not in the golden job. So, uh, savior, his uh, presence in um, uh, Born to be King and um those were the days so let's get to it i mentioned your podcast so i'm gonna throw it with you to do a plug uh, of it because um uh, now in in this uh, timeline that we're recording uh, you have uh, uh, reawakened your um, podcast feed finally so uh, people can uh, uh, listen to some recent episodes so uh, give the kind uh, people uh, an idea of uh, what you've been doing like in the last uh, two episodes since your uh, since your comeback uh, yeah, well, at the time of this recording, uh, we've got a couple new episodes in the pipeline. Uh, you know, more recent stuff that's come out, not necessarily cinematically, but uh, things that have dropped over on Netflix that we found interesting. Um, some some stuff to talk about there. So, yeah, it is called East Screen, West Screen. And I host it with my good friend and co-host Kevin Ma, who sometimes appears right here on this very show, I should say, CNN's. Kevin Ma. Of course. He's <laughs> yes, very important. He's a newly found uh, Hong Kong pundit, I was going to say. But yeah. uh, no, entertainment reporter, and uh, they utilized his uh, knowledge in that uh, area. Yeah, and, you know, it's always great to sit down and, and talk with him. And we hope to start getting some shows out on a more frequent basis now that uh, I've pretty much sorted out most of the tech issues of the moment and gotten kind of streamlined back to being able to produce on the tech side uh, the, the the shows themselves now it's more a question of content and uh, finding stuff that uh, we can watch that we think is worth talking about on the show that's uh, kind of current and relevant and that, that's a bit of a challenge given the nature of the cinema industry right now so um, we're not back up to full speed like we were in the old days with um, fairly weekly you know shows almost one a week but uh I hope to at least have maybe one a month for going forward until we get back to a semblance of cinematic normalcy, you might say. This might just be for me, but uh, did you ever record uh, the Benny Chan in honor of uh, Benny Chan's passing episode? Yes, yeah, that's the. I, I'd like to get another episode recorded before I release that one, just so I've kind of got something coming out and something in the pipe, as it were. Very cool. Well, I'm lo- looking forward to um, to hearing uh, that uh, off the cuff episode. But uh, passings are not; uh, they're, they're always a surprise, obviously. So you can you can sit down and share your your raw feelings, but also your your memories. Uh, glancing over a uh, filmography, you know, if you start talking, uh, I think memories are gonna come to you. Things like that. I mean, in the wake of his passing, I, I saw the White Storm which I had not seen before. I knew of it that it was uh, yeah, good enough reviews. And uh, I, I tend to remember that review single out that it felt like a, a heroic bloodshed movie of the past with um, in terms of theme 
content, uh, drama, and certainly action. I was very, very impressed. Really liked The White Storm. One of his better action films, I'd like to say. I mean, A Moment of Romance will always be my favorite Benny Chan movie uh, because it's, uh, it's classic and iconic and impactful. But The White Storm was really, really impressed by it uh, and then jumped immediately over to the White Storm 2 with, uh, that Lewis Koo is also in, but it's unrelated. And uh, as I said, maybe to you and to someone else, it seems like if you um, combine either the color spectrum with Storm or the letters of the alphabet, you get the interesting Hong Kong cinema, it seems like. <laughs> that uh, P-Storm, Z-Storm, A-Storm, whatever, that series seems to have a good momentum. At least it's been produced frequently and some people tend to like it, so... Um, Maybe that's the formula that um, Hong Kong filmmakers um, should stick to for a while. Even though I've heard David Lambert, director of those P-Storm, C-Storm movies, is is uh, done after the next one or something like that. Maybe they've exhausted their men arguing in offices uh, type of films. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, did, did, did you like uh, any of those um, uh, uh, letter storm movies or they were, they were just... Talky, talky, quick pieces that didn't do much for you. You know, back when they did the first one, I think we we covered it on the on the show, and I think I was kind of down on it just because it was very sort of low budget. And I remember they had done a, a, a technical film thing where they it's called Day for Night, where they shoot in the daytime, but they kind of wash out the composition to make it look like it's at nighttime really old school kind of technique that you do when you don't have a, a budget or the or the time to shoot and the to pay for the proper lighting but truth be told i've enjoyed the storm series for the most part i mean i understand that there's a need for that kind of content that people might not necessarily think is quote unquote cinema worthy um but can still be very very entertaining and i mean they're not I you definitely say they're kind of in in B movie category. They're they're trying to be in the line of things like Infernal Affairs and whatnot. They they don't have that kind of budget. So, but I, I appreciate what they're what they go for, and and some of the storylines are better than others. But there's a there's a sense of some continuity uh, throughout the films. So you know it's a little bit soap soap opera esque at times, but uh, you know it, it's Hong Kong cinema and. It's it's where Hong Kong cinema has led us to in in the current era, and you got to take it or leave it. And it started to make money too, so no wonder they started to produce it. But um, I don't know if uh, they at all kept uh, it strictly Cantonese, so if they went into the mainland for subsequent efforts. But um, it's certainly um, it's certainly appreciated that. Uh, uh, there, there is a semblance of real Hong Kong movies. And, I mean, even the White Storm too, regardless of how, if it had mainland China involvement, it was still a Cantonese language film and I dug it for it. So it had a violent factor in it and a body count and uh, some crazy action that didn't look uh, that particularly you know, painfully faked and green screened. I'm talking of the um, car chase uh, in, in the MTR station which is ludicrous but i think they did a quite a good job it didn't feel like these lightweight floaty cars uh, created all in cg and uh, it was amazing because uh, when andy lau and lewis Koo go down into the into the mtr they're they're flawless but uh, but they're not panicked you know they have a goal and uh, we're gonna drive 
right here and not react to the fact that I think we're doing something very crazy. So I, I enjoy that uh, factor of uh, the White Storm too. I do think it's telling though too because there, there's another film that that's kind of out there also from 2019, which is Chasing the Dragon Two, Wild Wild Bunch, which I haven't seen that one yet, but I have seen White Storm Two. And again, it is a vehicle helmed by the the tanned one, Louis Koo. I mean, he's got to be in absolutely everything these days. The Star Wars collection ain't going to pay for itself. Like, uh, That's right. I mean, he needs to, after the Mandalorian, I'm sure there was some um, merch that uh, was coveted. And Louis needs to be there and you know, grab a first round of Baby Yoda. So however those things work. But um, it's never ending, you know. And uh, so um, you, you you gotta do it. I mean, even in the in the alphabet uh, movies, he's in all of them, right? Yes. Yeah. Even though yeah, I'm 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 not sure if it's the same character throughout all of it, but who cares? He's the same. The, the ongoing saga. <laughs> and yet they put him, they didn't put him in Cold War. Either one or two, I believe. Too much men already in that part. Like, guys, <laughs> can I play? Like you can have Michael's but, Michael Wong's role. He has two lines. They're, they're yeah. holding out for for a secret sort of face-off reveal in three. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're not going to say no to if Chai, in fact, is interested. Uh, and Louis Koo is also interested. Hmm, who do we pick? Bye bye, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Sad Hulk music as he exits the office and goes on to a new movie set. Anyway, well, let's get into it for your podcast on fire network needs, including uh, social media links and relevant links in this uh, show. Go to podcastonfire.com and click all the social media links, and uh, we're going to sk- uh, skip over the rest and get into it. So listen to some music from Born to be King, i.e. Young and Dangerous 6. And uh, it's the last one, and uh, we're going to review it here. So sit tight, and we'll be right back. And welcome back in the first review of this uh, Young and Dangerous uh, series that is uh, nearing its conclusion, but we're not quite there yet. But uh, the series Young and Dangerous is uh, concluding, and uh, it was not called Young and Dangerous 6, but rather Born to be King. From 2000, a plot from the Love HK film review goes as follows. Mr. Chang, played by Alex Mann, steps down and Ho Nam, played by Ikin Chang, is promoted to the head of the Hong Hing group. Meanwhile, Chikyun, played by Jordan Chan, is nominated to take over San Lun group in Taiwan. That is infighting as everyone is off to the big chair except the former leader's son who seemingly wants little to do with the triad uh, business. Amidst all of this, uh, Chicken gets a marriage of convenience to Nanako, played by Anya from Naked Weapon, the daughter of uh, Yamada, played by Sunny Chiba, the powerful head of uh, Japan's Yamada clan. The consolidation of uh, power is at the center of the whole shebang as Chicken's uh, ascendance to the head of the group would put the Yamadas and even the Hong Hings in striking distance of Taiwan. We're back in Taiwan. Then bad stuff happens. Chicken is suspected of many acts of treachery and Honam arrives in Taiwan to act, to act righteous and glower at everyone in sight. There's not a whole bunch of background, but I thought we'd touch upon its box office. This was the least profitable 
entry in the series. Uh, it had a 9 million Hong Kong dollar gross at the box office and not even breaking the top 10. Uh, 10th place uh, was held by the romantic movie Lavender, which grossed 14 million. But he can, did get a top 10 uh, uh, movie in uh, there as the second most profitable movie of the year in 2000. Do you want to take a guess, by the way, if you think back 2000, Ekin? For bad boys only? No. Nope. <laughs> Tokyo <laughs> Raiders was the second yeah. most profitable movie of the year. So um, action uh, action piece for Ekin alongside Little Tony. Uh, the Duel and Sausalito was also on the list. So Andrew Lau made some people a little bit of money, even if his signature series went out with a whimper, uh, profit-wise. So, if we turn to opinions, d- d- despite its grown-up intentions, uh, as it revisits uh, the Taiwanese politics angle from Young and Dangerous 2, and how it connects to a triad, this is yet another two hour of merely mildly interesting time with the boys. Okay, I, I take that back. It's really a chicken spin-off movie with the Hung Hing boys in support. Uh, the chicken parts, because Jordan Chan remains the most compelling actor of the series still, it does bring to life, and there's some good acting with Jordan Chan and, and the Taiwanese veterans, but again, Andrew Lau is not truly skilled at character development that sticks with you. He's not skilled at tension or drama, and don't get me started on how Andrew Lau and Manfred Wong decides to deal with the mopey, heartbroken Chan Ho Nam. It just really doesn't do it. He's never been an interesting character. And he remains uninteresting as we go out. I would have hoped for a little bit more. And for, especially since Ikin Cheng, the actor, would definitely have been more comfortable in 2000. But they don't give him anything. So, boo, I wanted something better for Chan now, But at least I got some decent chicken stuff. Anyway, over to your short opinion of uh, Born to be King. All right. Well, before I jump into that, let me just say for those of you playing at home... Understand that uh, even though this is film six, this is actually taking place narratively after the film we're going to talk about next, which is Those Were the Days, which is kind of like if this were titled in Young and Dangerous World of English titling, that would be 5.5, right? So that film happens, even though it's, it's mostly a prequel, some of the stuff happens, It's the prequel part's happening in flashbacks, some of the star stuff's happening between five and this film. So if you want to make sense of stuff, uh, it, you're better off watching that film before you watch this film. Uh, that'll help a little bit. Now, with this film, it's called Born to be King. And if you look at the the cover, or if you look at the poster, which person is featured in largest proportion. Have you seen, Ken, which... which... I mean, the DVD cover, obviously, as uh, it's it's Chanonam, chicken behind him, and then uh, the girls and boys uh, in the background a little bit. So. Yeah, so there were there's one scene from this film that I remember upon my first watch years and years ago, and, and I'll talk about that scene in a little bit, but I'm you know, you're thinking about Born to be King. What is this movie going to be about? It's about... The Chan Honam character, you know, getting his due, making his way to the top organization and trying to hold on to it, right? Like becoming a Mr. Chang. <laughs> Even though that happens, it's not about that at all. It's In fact, Chan Honam is hardly in it. And part of me has to wonder if, if we look at what's happened to the series, um, particularly in this year, because both of these films that we're talking about today are from this year. 
um, spaced a few months apart. Part of me wonders if Eakin was really kind of done with this character by this point. I mean, he'd already made a successful transition to other properties like Storm Riders and things a few years earlier. He's got like five other films this year, um, including the ones, you know, that, that we mentioned for Bad Boys Only, uh, Tokyo Raiders. He was really branching off into um, other stuff. And even though he was working with Jordan Chan in some of those films up to this point as other properties, I really think he was starting to make a name for himself as a romantic lead that wasn't, you know, a guwakzai, uh, a gangster character. Can I just ask you something? The Chinese title, is it still the same? for, Or, or did they change it? I like the English title, changed everything from Young and Dangerous Six to Born to be King. Or What do you know about that in regards to this? If you look at the, the DVD cover, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really highlight the, the there, there's no Chinese on the DVD cover for the Guaktai series, but under the Hong Kong movie database, it, it, it does list that as an alias, uh, sort of as, as an attachment. So, you know, and in the world of marketing media, I'm assuming at the time there may be posters that were produced that have that on there, but for the most part, yeah, the, this is a standalone title and, um, uh, those were the days is a standalone title, even though they are narratively carrying many plot points through um, through the stories. As you said, this is a chicken centric story and it's very much carrying through some of the chicken centric story of uh, those were the days, which we'll get to and earlier films. Um, and really the thing that this does, which kind of was made me, making me say we've been here before we've been here done that is that many of the plot points we see in young and dangerous 2 which was also chicken in taiwan for a good portion of it happen here again <laughs> you know it's like the character is experiencing almost a narrative deja vu at least it wasn't made in 10 minutes like part yeah, two was. it was i mean to, to be fair yeah this is definitely um, much more structured and and better put together than than two was in, in the technical sense. It just felt like a retread of some things. Even though it's been a couple months since we talked about uh, you know the, the the last films. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't the last time we saw Chicken. He was vying for branch leader, having a debate in in some you know it's like oh well now he's back in Taiwan. Did he do a bad job in Hong Kong? I mean, and, and in five he uh, had no mention either, no appearance nor any mention. So Jordan Chan was off uh, doing something else, and they didn't even bother to um, give a throwaway line for sake of continuity in that one. So it's a big, big gaping hole. So I mean, it's things like that, and there there are a couple narrative threads with other characters who don't show up here who were significant in sort of Chicken Circle that are given the occasional you know, throwaway line just to kind of say, yeah, we kind of remember where he was at back then and we're moving away from that now for whatever reason. Well, well, what the series is doing, um, it's living up to uh, its tradition and I guess Hong Kong cinema tradition is uh, just bringing back actors who died as uh, one or even two characters. And I guess uh, their big uh, score, their big coup for this one is that they got the Jiggy Lai back after she uh, died, uh, the character of uh, Smarty died in 
part three and uh, Chan Honam has been moping uh, ever since. So that's the drama of it all. Uh, Michael Tse is back. He's also died. Jason Chu is back. I think he's died twice. And Roy Chung is back. He's died twice as well. Uh, so it's a kablu in your brain uh, if you're not used to these uh, kind of things. But we we are. So it, it's the final blowout. Everyone's got to be back, I guess. But uh, the blowout certainly doesn't happen. What I noticed for Andrew Lau is he's, uh, he's trying to be David Fincher with the sort of seven inspired credit sequence for no apparent reason and um his directing credit appears twice it appears directed by andrew lau and then he does some swiping on the screen and then directed by andrew lau again so it's good to be the king i i did this twice he doesn't want you to forget no and there was certainly well he the work is overall forgettable but uh, we certainly doesn't forget who it was whose fault it was i guess uh uh, and he's got this uh, in the movie and uh, Robbie in the series. He's kept his um, style to sort of a minimum. He's not been a flashy cinematographer turned director. In this one, he's going all out. Sort of, it's shaky cameras, sped up photography, and uh, whooshy noises on the soundtrack. It's uh, he's, he's on this sort of um, audiovisual tangent here that doesn't make the movie cool i think uh, it makes the movie really uncool and andrew lau really uncool and, and it, it leaked into infernal affairs a little bit but then infernal affairs really quickly righted itself by being the movie it was and focused on character and content and plot and not uh, these uh, jazzed up uh, visuals um in in all honesty, maybe we'll get to Jigilai's appearance later because she's in the second half of the movie. Was that any like, I don't know if you remember this, but obviously the movie begins with a nightmare sequence and there, there is Jigilai. And we're like, oh yeah, they're bringing her back. They're going to do some good here. Andrew Lau, I have faith in you. This is going to be good. The loop is going to be closed. The dramatic dramatic uh, journey is going to be closed. Jigilai is back and there's promise all around here. Or What impression did you get when he started to tease that? smart is in his brain and she probably she's probably going to be back too in the cost i was racking my brain because i mean uh, what's the trick what's the rub and or does this just go out with a whimper and it went out with a whimper it was the it was the least possible option i even thought to myself like maybe they got her for the nightmare quick shots because those are new um there is not all flashbacks to one through three but uh, she certainly comes back but he is in um, in reality he stayed with a lady this time so uh, shuke is uh, back here shuchi i love her and uh, she's flawless but they they give her a terrible arc in this one but i i she she can still charm with a bubbly personality she's got youthful energy chan honam is not so much the adults he's, he's still sort of closed off so She's mostly resorted to appearing nagging, but I don't think she is because she she's better than that. Uh, she's a better actress. Uh, she she doesn't um, appear annoying, but she she asks questions like "Who is more beautiful, me or Smarty?" And I do like her playfulness as a character. She tries to engage Chanona, which is a tall order. That is good activity, and um, she's a bubbly, proactive uh, character. Plus points for that that we, there's not yet again. A new, um, a new leading lady for him to woo and uh, bed and uh, and uh, all of that, uh, and 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 I guess I didn't mind the Taiwanese political angle from two. I think that added a more adult sheen on on the series already in part two, even though it was made really really quickly. So to revisit that, uh, there's decent uh, threads to be 
crafted uh, from that how politics intersects with uh, with the triads and uh, eventually we sort of find out that the government of taiwan they're willing to keep the gang unofficially though that's most uh, beneficial to to their agenda so gangs can be destroyed but certain gangs can stay so it's not just local turf wars with uh, with lawn chairs but there's uh, greater things at stake here by no means a very fleshed out and uh, hugely uh, intelligent angle but seen as i liked it into and it was understandable again i'm so stupid so if i understand something they're either simplifying it or doing a good job communicating but so i didn't mind that refread uh, to be honest i s- sat up and listened that chicken says well we um we involved ourselves in the election process but i think he says that they backed the candidate that didn't want a win so uh they're they're back to planning something else i suppose but uh, you you want to f- flesh out any thoughts on it? it was welcome that uh they brought back the political angle or did you feel it was uh, re- a refread really really early that, that it wasn't fresh as a matter of fact well i think because i mean they are dealing with the politics of the moment that are had that were that were happening in taiwan that from a historical perspective it's there there is an interesting take and sort of this parallel about how politics is supposed to be changing and and what's happening in in taiwan in that era that i still find very interesting and um i i felt it was more interesting on this rewatch probably than when i first watched it because i didn't have a good grasp on politics back then and it's sort of the macro level politics that are that were happening in asia and that have continued through to to today so somebody going into this looking for you know the hung hing boys going around chopping each other up and the kind of stuff that the series established itself on i think they're going to find a lot of this kind of dull for those who are more interested in 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 some of that context i think that um actually this does a better job of getting into that than even the second film did yeah it was too quickly conceived to uh, be fleshed out in that uh, way and here it seems like Man- manfred and andrew pl- planned this out a little bit a uh, little bit uh, more and i didn't find it um uninteresting or boring or anything it's just that the general plotting with the main characters and certainly our uh, our actual villain of the piece that was all just oh, really that was our great great foe by the time we get to the end but anyway so by part six obviously you need to keep growing up as a series and there's indications here that uh, andrew and manfred are doing that and they're furthering um some characters uh, in that uh, we saw evidence of um, being furthered and developed in part five as well that, that was the greatest memory of part five that they did put a mature sheen on the movie and then it petered out but it is, after all, also a two-hour movie, and Andrew Lau is not good at maintaining interest other than in bursts, which has been very evident throughout the entire series, uh, really, especially the long uh, movies. Uh, so it's hardly riveting. It's sort of present and medium. Some sections may some sections just infuriating. Um, but we'll, we'll get to more of that. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I don't know any of these languages, but... They obviously did sing sound and Cantonese, Mandarin, and Japanese here, because uh, Sunny Chiba is here. If I understood things correctly, 
we're supposed to believe that Chicken understands Sonny Chiba's character when he speaks Japanese. And if yes, why the hell didn't he understand his wife? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, did I completely miss that Sonny Chiba was doing like phonetic Mandarin? No, no. I mean, uh, there's a there's a gag towards the end where it's revealed that uh, he understands Mandarin and can speak Mandarin, I think. But for Jordan's character, you know, I, I think that there's a there's a sense that he maybe kind of understood some of the intent coming from, you know, his his father in law. There's certain things like, you know, when a father figure speaking to you, what's the kind of thing he's going to be saying in that situation? And I think if you are somebody who particularly is spending time in Taiwan, because Taiwan had a huge influence from Japan during the war, um, there's a lot of love for Japanese and Japanese culture and Japanese language still. That's um, a big part of, of Taiwan. So I think that there's there's the idea that there's some understanding, you know, sort of sort of on the same level that, you know, people who love Hong Kong cinema can pick up on bits and pieces of Cantonese over the years, or people who love anime will pick up bits and pieces of Japanese, even if they're not studying the language directly. So I think that there's a, kind of that sense ability going on here. I was just so happy that this film was in complete sync sound yes. with, I, you know, at least, I think there's at least five languages, possibly more going on at some point between Cantonese, Mandarin, I think they use Hakka at some point in, in you know, uh, sort of a Taiwanese indigenous language that they switch to. And you've got English thrown about in a few places. It's so refreshing to just let that happen rather than hearing sort of everybody doing sort of canned post-dub Cantonese or, or post-dub Mandarin with different actors and, and letting the actors act, especially you know, great actors like Sonny Chiba. This I, I said there was a scene that I that stuck out for me that I remember, and it's the scene with um, actor uh, Chen Songyong, who plays uh, this uh, seemingly somewhat antagonistic character, Brave, but um, uh, he's a character that's very, very memorable. So his scenes where he's at this place where he's basically fishing for prawns, some of his interactions with Chicken just really were very very memorable for me and then that those are the scenes that i remember from this film more than anything else i didn't remember anything else from the film but i remember those scenes because i felt that they were just really well done that scene built on what was happening in the movie it was it was explained in terms of the triads intersecting with government the government intersecting with triads and he was setting the scene, he was explaining the scenario very well, not being Mr. Exposition, but it was a genuine, very natural and comfortable dialogue between two actors of different generations and certainly different age, and it really, really worked. And again, because Jordan Chan, I think, is good at responding to, um, to this. He's a good actor on his own, but he seems to respond in presence of veterans too. And it's all live. It's not canned, as you said. Jordan seemingly transitions well into Mandarin, uh, between Mandarin and Cantonese. So it becomes so much more alive and the writing becomes alive. But it's one of those cases Well, yeah, give, give us more of this. You're on a roll now. And here's Chan Ho Nam. Okay. Okay, 
let's deal with this now <laughs> while we wait <laughs> until chicken comes back so uh but but uh, it, it's i would have kept that scene in my memory bank too because you you just sit and listen as chicken is as well and it's uh it's pretty pretty damn good actually so i think one of the, one of the things that i was kind of ruminating in the back of my mind was that um it's unfortunate because you hear you have uh shuchi you know shuke in this film from taiwan and they're making her speak he's making her speak cantonese the whole movie she didn't get a chance to speak mandarin once i'm like oh come on just throw her a bone i think she might have thrown some mandarin at Jigilai when they met at the daycare center or whatever but um Mostly it's Cantonese, but the, the the character was from Singapore, Malaysia, originally in five. So um, they weren't um, rejigging the the rules of the game uh, that way. And being a long movie and dialogue heavy, partly that is okay, uh, because Andrew Lau starts to drop that um, uh, quick cut style and loose style, and it is a more professional and glossy affair. That, that's to be appreciated, and and that it is all talky 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 with heads of tried gangs or uh, groups it's it's fine in theory good for a little while but tension action and stakes need to enter and even as chicken gets framed for the assassination attempts it's not dramatic it's not tense and it's not doing anything grand triad plot wise either i mean you you mentioned throughout this coverage that they're they're kind of redoing various uh, bits and pieces throughout the series and uh, this shows up here as well it's acceptable but uh, un- unremarkable and the more i watched it i even wondered to myself were they in reality trying out a standalone movie for chicken here and realizing that that's too much of a commercial gamble we need to get the boys back so let's shove some romantic side story uh smarty doppelganger in there and go it's a complete picture i mean it's all a theory but it looked to me like they were very comfortable making a chicken movie and the uh, Hongqing boys sections they're secondary and not in a good way necessarily so i mean did you spot that at all i think like i think they changed tack mid-movie and made it a boys movie instead of a boy movie <laughs> i mean it could be it's just that there's so many different threads going on here if you've got oh you know chicken just getting married suddenly out of the blue and then you've got the sort of subplot with the thing between his wife and her foster stepbrother, adopted brother, you know, that gives Roy Chung, you know, something to do, really. And then you've got the the sort of overarching subplot. It's really nothing to do with the Hong Hing group, right? Because it's, you know, it's it's the, the Taiwan group that's embroiled in all this. And then Chip Chicken's connection to uh, the Yakuza through his father-in-law and back to hong hing through his his buddies that really makes this anything to do with the sort of the hong hing group i think overall it's just not really aside from those political aspects it's not really doing any of these things well we've seen chicken get married before um we've seen how he yeah, he got married to um, what's her name in uh, the second film, right? I mean, he was with Ching Miao, but I don't remember if they ever got married. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think they got married. I think they had uh, the whole wedding banquet and everything. It's, then he killed her. But by this point, it's just like ah, we've seen this before. I mean, you can the, the minute that um, the the villain of this uh, played by Peter Ho says, 
I don't have any interest in in taking over the gang. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, he's the bad guy. <laughs> it's just so it's so telegraphed and and predictable. And what would have been good is if it hadn't gone in that direction. So I mean, I just think that it's not the worst of the series. It's just it's 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 kind of, it feels kind of also ran at so many points. But by the same token, like I said, there's things that they do well. Some of the supporting characters, they carry through narrative threads. Um, you get quite a few cameos, which is always nice to see. You know, I mean, this is Anya's first film. For those who know about her and, and her career, she was, you know, an up-and-comer out of Taiwan at the time. Would go on to make a name for herself in, in Hong Kong cinema for, you know, just over a decade. And, you know, it, it, it's this weird period of transition in sort of the post-handover period as they push forward into the millennium and filmmaking and the way that films were made in the 90s is really starting to change. And I think you are on the tail end of that with this film. Some more specifics, I guess, uh, because uh, Blackie Cole returns as um, he's the cousin, I believe, of uh, Chickens. Uh, so we saw him in part two and he dropped in um, in into the other parts as well. Maybe all of them to some extent, but uh, I'm, I'm not too sure if he was in five. Anyway, there's uh, one of the few street brawls of the series uh, that's actually good and uh, effective actually resides in this movie. It feels dangerous for once that um, you know losing scenario that it is because it's chicken and blackie co versus everyone and uh, it got my heart rate going um, a little bit more the unwinnable notion was better conveyed there despite partly a blurry and shaky camera conveying all of this so i think they did uh, better than they usually do in this series and uh I guess I should share a little bit on Peter Ho before we go to, I guess, Jiggy Live, because she deserves a mention. I've only remembered him from one movie, but it's it's a good one. Uh, he was in that uh, unseen Derek E. movie, The Truth About Jane and Sam. Uh, Peter Ho was in that, and I thought that was uh, quite decent. But when you put him at center here, you know, as a power-hungry character, it's not a good look on the young actor. He doesn't display that much charisma and he looks more like a boy that can't transition into the sort of snarl that a power hungry giving character should have it feels very very forced his snarl is just bad those nefarious plans of his falls flat because the actor is i mean put roy chung there he would have done decent at the very at the very least if you just put him front and center but this is peter hosbit and uh it doesn't feel assured at all. And by, by the time we get, you know, ending reveals, it's just, um, I thought it was really, really flat and lame, to be honest, uh, when he snaps into a more violent mode. It made me laugh during the finale. I don't know if you noticed this, that because the, the finale is about revelations that, uh, let me talk now. I know what he did. And everybody goes, <gasps> and they do that like three or four times. The literal, <gasps> During the finale, <laughs> it's like are they try, trying to parody ending reveals? No, this is what happens, <gasps> and then someone comes in from the left and does and does the same. So I thought it was really poorly conveyed. And when you start to giggle at this stuff, you know that the triad tension and the stakes and the violence and the action that has preceded it is uh, is not faring uh, very well. And uh, 
Depp. <laughs> oh god, it's the first entry that truly makes me laugh. The car chase with Chan Ho Nam and Peter Ho. After Peter Ho. It's the representation of get Chan Ho Nam something cool and hard to do. And I didn't buy it for one minute, Paul, because at that point I was not looking at uh, Chan Ho Nam's picture. I was looking at Chicken's picture and it wasn't appealing at all to have Chan Ho Nam to be the big bad action hero towards the end. Um, and I don't put that on Ikin because he's only as good as the material you give him. And uh, you, we've seen him respond next year. Goodbye, Mr. Cool, as we've talked about. It's great. And he responds to that. And it's a, it's a great script and it's an impactful picture. But when you don't give him anything but uh, poorly injected, he's on the poster, so we got to give Chan Ho Nam something to do. Then no wonder uh, the character that was anonymous from the beginning has kind of remained anonymous throughout six pictures. And it's the surrounding characters that uh, fare a little bit better. Uh, it gave the action director something to do, I guess, and the cast dance director something to do. But I thought the ending overall, and we'll get back to a jiggy lie, but I thought the ending overall was just a big misfire on many fronts. I was happy to get out, Paul. <laughs> That's my point. So, um, without putting too many spoilers in there, I mean, uh, were you at all, were you one of those that went, <gasps> as the ending reveals happened? No, because it was... Uh, you know, and they've had this problem with, um, I think, with some of the other ending reveals um, by this point. Um, they're they're kind of throwing stuff at the wall. And, I mean, it's like the Peter Ho character has uh, attempted to assassinate one of his henchmen who was kind of used to to put his, his machinations into, into play. And then that didn't go off. And so then as a result they end up revealing but none of that is really staged very well it's it's not like it's not like it's earned it's just none of this by this point really feels earned um even roy chung coming in as as sort of a big bad just kind of shows up out of the blue and then suddenly goes bad right there's not like a lot of build up for that character to that point it's just like oh we need we need somebody to do something bad here so the guys have something to react against. And that happens kind of twice. I do think that the Peter Ho kind of political play feels a bit more in line with the series, whereas the way they end up using Roy Chung just felt like it was like, well, we need Chicken to get have somebody to go after because Honam's going to go after this guy. And to talk a little bit about Peter Ho, um, he's not had... a a massive career he's you know just got over 20 films uh, in his filmography truth about jane and sam is a very good film if you've uh not had a chance to see it um a couple others of his that i'd point out um he's got a very charming taiwan romantic comedy from 2007 called my dna says i love you that uh if you can get a hold of it um it did have a hong kong dvd release and i think it's a charming cute rom-com out of, out of taiwan he worked with uh, Zhang Ziyi on uh, her romantic comedy Sophie's Revenge, another um, really good film. And but more recently, um, he, he was he did play uh, one of the supporting characters in Donnie Yen's Monkey King movie. And but more recently, he's been in The Swordmaster from 2016. Oh yes, um, as Swordsman Yen. And of course, it was hard to recognize him because he's kind of like under quite a bit of makeup. Um, but uh, currently, he's in Teddy Chen's. Uh, Double World, 
which is um, showing on Netflix. So if you are looking for something to watch, you can go out and catch that right now. So he, he he's still around. He's still doing stuff. And, um, you know, he's not found himself typecast into any particular role. He's been able to sort of uh, bounce around and play a, a variety of stuff, and he's still getting work. So that's that's really good to see. There's just not a lot for me that was at stake here. Like I said, I'm not really sure who is born to be king, whether it's Eakin, because he just kind of gets handed <laughs> leadership in, in a scene, and that's it. And it's like, okay, uh, Honam's in charge. Yay! I would have been fine with that, because I would have understood it at least. I understood it at the end of one. You got this territory. Yay! Ending, ending credits. I guess he's the king. So th- there's not there's not a lot of... of of that at stake and you know by the end they get you know the bank the gangs back together and they're all walking very cool together but it's like so what happens who 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 takes over you know what what what's what's the fallout here i mean you know is it, it just feels i mean for a series and maybe they were planning to do more and maybe again because this is based on comics that this is a famous comic arc and it goes beyond this it's hard to say, but for fans only of the films, it's like, this is where it ends, and we're not getting any more, and it just feels like they needed a long, you know, even Animal House-style epilogue, where, like, every character gets, a, <laughs> you know, a paragraph of, like, where they are now, and, you know, what's happened. Um, so, uh, my final notes, I guess, uh, we got to talk a little bit about uh, Jiggy Lai. She is... Uh, uh, recast as a um, as a doppelganger, uh, so Chan Honam obviously spots her in Taiwan and uh, starts to follow her in a very non subtle way. He's like two steps behind her as he follows uh, her into her workplace. So he's not like sneaking; he's just following her like a puppy dog, which uh, made me laugh as well. And it's hardly a compelling piece of psychology. It's never really been that he's not over smarty. It's not bound to be effective either in the hands of this director, but certainly when you throw the canto pop, and maybe that's Ekin's song for the movie, when you throw the canto pop onto the moments when he's following her, that makes it automatically, in the case of this movie, in this context, not very effective. We're we're meant to feel bad for Chuchi, I kind of do. Uh, She does her best to emote that she's, um, you know, his heart is elsewhere. And what is her purpose there for? But Andrew isn't good at heart. And his heart isn't in this. He's not able to elevate this. He's not able to transfer it to the actor. So it's a very hollow romantic uh, subplot with Chuchi. And it's a very hollow... Why does she look like Smarty? Who is she? Can I be your friend? He's given a a, a very, very bad, as it turned out, um, ending to his arc because I, I think it just makes him look like a dope to be honest yeah, keep to keep to Chuchi for heaven's sake she's lovely uh, she she wants only the best for you and uh, maybe she's a bit too young and a bit too bubbly but uh, you know stick with her for heaven's sake you had you had he, he, they've been together for two or three years so um, but uh, yeah it, it didn't really do anything for me I mean Jiggy Lai is back hooray but um, she's not giving anything to work with um, Ivor, so um, I, I could have done without ch- revisiting Chan Honam's torment because it's, it had never Paul, really been evident throughout the movies that uh, as this dark cloud over the movie, 
and it doesn't work to reintroduce it as, uh, as something he's tormented by. And to be honest, I wasn't really affected when she did die because it was okay, she died, whatever. So it uh, it doesn't do anything for me other than, ah, she's back. Okay. It, it adds <laughs> 10, 15 minutes to a, a bloated running time. So yeah, so yeah, that, that's what I thought. Any welcome elements in that uh, that side story that uh, Andrew Lau does this um, this piece of psychology or how did this play with you? The reintroduction of uh, Jiggy Lai and uh, Chan Honam's uh, obsession. No, I think it was fan service more than anything. Um, they needed a reason to kind of keep him in the film. And I think they could have taken all the Gigi Lai stuff out and cut out, you know, all of, all of his brooding and just had him you know, break up with Shu Kei and it would have been like a good, saved a good 10, 15 minutes off the film and a tighter running time. Okay, you know, he follows her and where does she work? She's a kindergarten teacher and that makes her nice and matronly and everything. But I mean, he fell for a school teacher already with the Michelle Reese character. And it's like, uh, kind of here again. I mean, <laughs> I got a type. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's sad too. I mean, this is spoilers. I might cut this out. I was sort of convinced that he was gonna go back to Chuchi, and the last thing we see is her crying her eyes out, and then she's out. No, bad again. <laughs> bad. Well, she did. Now. She did. She did leave him that goodbye letter and lipstick on his yeah, mirror. Then he, so. uh, then he smudged it. And I go, don't want to read that. So, uh, I, I really didn't like that. I mean, I wasn't terribly into their relationship, but I thought um, it was um, not well handled and staged uh, either two minor notes and then I've done it it was very cool to see otherwise martial arts actor Don Wong uh, here as one of the um, uh, triad heads uh, out of the groups uh, looking uh, dapper Uh, he's the star of Secret Rivals uh, Hot the Cool and the Vicious and uh, and, uh, other such uh, classic martial arts movies so it was cool to see and also Jerry Lamb shaved his head and I'm not going to say anything else because he didn't get to do anything else. Come on, give Jerry something. You gave him a job at a bar in five and he was sort of the man in the bar. And now he's like, shave my head, guys. All the, all, even all the dead people who come back have more to do than Jerry Lamb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so and, uh, to, to be honest, and this is shameful, I've never picked up on what his name is in the movie. Jerry Lamb is a Pau Pei. Pau Pei, okay. Pan, yeah. Depending on, you know, which which uh, translation your subtitle you're seeing. So it goes out with, with, with a bit of a whimper, and um, I wasn't expecting much, but uh, I was hoping for something, and I got um, didn't get that much. So um, the spin-offs and the prequels and um, the satirical takes, that's where Young and Dangerous comes to life a little bit more. We've seen that in the past, and... Um, but uh, we we had to conclude it. But uh, I am still looking forward to the prequel because uh, maybe change of cost. Um, they don't uh, DH the guys by putting um, different clothes on them and um, different hairstyle on them. It's a complete new cost. Maybe that will uh, bring something out of Andrew and Manfred. I'm going to let that uh, sit out there and um, yeah. preserve some hope for uh, for the uh, for the future coverage. Yeah. Well, just to give you all a little bit of a teaser i mean one the, the great thing about the prequel is that it is the kickoff film for all the gen x boys um it is the premiere for nicholas Tse, sam lee uh and daniel Wu. 
and it, it's, it's going to be fun to look back on a movie like that because we're in 2020 and you can look at, at a movie like that and go look at them they're so young look at them <laughs> who's a who's a good little actor who's a good little actor so um anyway that's the end of my notes uh, do you want to mention anything else out of born to be king no i just you know uh if you've made it this far congratulations um because it can be a bit of an ordeal at times uh, as i said i don't think this is uh, anywhere near the worst of the bunch but we've seen better and it's it's just a shame that it kind of goes out with this as the end of the series kind of goes out with a whimper rather than a bang would it be able um would you be able robert to easily answer what is your favorite young and dangerous movie i'm leaning towards free because i i liked some of the um threads that were going on especially the non-triad stuff i i felt free was um more satisfying and probably after that one the reason i don't place one higher is that um, it isn't that effective as a try piece yes it has francis mm, and he steals the movie but it not quite rivals the interest i had in free in an overall sense in one it's the francis mm scenes but he's a supporting character the villain but a supporting character nonetheless so that's uh, my top two. So I'm gonna uh, stop talking and le- let you have a think. Uh, which one stands out? If you if you think back, if you remember anything out of one through five. Well, I mean, I think we're we're just talking about the young and dangerous titled films themselves. Um, I'd probably agree. I'd say three. You know, mostly because of bringing on people. You know, you've got, still got uh, people like Simon Yam there. You've got. Uh, Karen Mock, who was great, um, you know, a lot of the supporting characters. Um, and it was such a step up from two that you know, it was oh, like... They, they made this in an hour compared to 10 minutes, so three stars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree. I still like the first one just because, it, you know, it's there and it kind of establishes this this genre that then went on to do all these films. Um, but I, th- I think three stands out as perhaps more fun. The only question I can leave out there, out of all actors, they recast multiple times. How the hell didn't they get uh, Simon Yam to do two or three appearances here? Busy? Or they were simply too busy with like, uh, which ones do we recast? Jason, Michael, uh, Jerry? Well, he's always in it, so we don't need to recast him. Uh, Roy, Roy, Roy. And maybe they neglected Simon. because uh, I was surprised we didn't get a snarling villain two or three movies after he uh, snuffed it. So. No, but I, you know, you do have to give credit to, I mean, especially people like, you have to give credit to people like Vincent Juan and Sandra M and Alex Mann, you know, because whenever uh, they put out the call to say, hey, we would like you to come in and, and, and do a scene, even if it's just a single scene to, to establish some narrative continuity, um, they're there, you know, and yeah. they, they were game to do it. And I mean, even uh, Anthony Wong, he's not in every film, but he's in most of them um, for a scene or two. And uh, that's one of the things I really like about this series is that you get these great supporting characters and and you get to revisit them throughout. Yeah, I very much agree. That is a becomes a comforting you know, factor, uh, to be honest. Even if it is only one scene, I mean, yeah, when we saw some of these characters in Portland Street Blues um, in earlier uh, incarnations, if you will. Actors came in to do do their bit for the universe despite, you know. 
including France, is appearing again as a ugly one. So I think that's a a, a nice, comforting sort of, a, I guess, honorable factor that you're not too big for uh, for one or two scenes. At any rate, as for availability, Born to Be King is available on DVD and Blu-ray in Hong Kong, as is Young and Dangerous Free, and nothing else. So start collecting now, and it might be complete one day. So um, the the rights, I think, are spread out a little bit, so it's not like Maya can just throw out a box set uh, or, or universe. But uh, nevertheless, these are the two that are reissued. So, uh, but uh, there, there are other options out there, legit or not. There's a box set out of Malaysia that, that uh, con- contains one through six, but they recycle the Hong Kong transfers. I don't think it's a legit set, but you can get that cheap if you can't find them individually for reasonable prices. And that's what uh, that's what I did in order to view four through six. So there it is. We're going to take a music break, and then we are going to talk Those Were The Days from 2000. This is the actual chicken standalone prequel story that uh, was directed by the man who gave us portland street blues and the man that gave out that gave the young and dangerous series and its side stories awards multiple awards so from the award-winning director of portland street blues comes those were the days and we'll talk about after the, after the music break Welcome back, and uh, we're going to conclude this episode with the movie Those Were the Days. This is the Jordan Chan chicken spin-off prequel movie that they produced in 2000, and plot from the Love, Love HK film review of the film. Those Were the Days is the story of Chicken and his lifelong love, G, played by Jiggy Lung, who finds themselves star-crossed lovers of the most annoyed, annoying kind. When the two knew each other, as children, Chicken promised to protect protect G forever. Flash forward to their adulthood, and Chicken has become a triad, which G absolutely hates. Still, the circumstances of their lives uh, make it uh, unable for them to separate emotionally from each other. Despite the myriad of problems that prevent their union, they still yearn to be together. Eventually, this brings us to the present, as Chicken has uh, risen to the rank of uh, Tunmun boss. And at the wedding of fellow bosses Ben Hon, played by Vincent Wan, and Sister 13, Sandra, mm, yes, they got married, Chicken finds G again. So will they be able to finally consummate, consummate their lifelong love for each other? Dot, dot, dot. As for short opinions, uh, and I'll do mine first, if you're tired of the stale trials and tribulations of the triad world with gang versus gang, in that context and that regular plotting. This is another spin-off that takes us away from that to focus more on character. And it may not, it actually doesn't, it, it that skillfully and smoothly intersect with past stories uh, because I, I don't think this was planned in 1996. This wasn't phase two of Young and Dangerous verse. So it, it, it doesn't sort of uh, leak into the plotting of Young and Dangerous 1 or anything that uh, consciously. 
And it also seems that the makers mess up some continuity. Because I'm gonna ask this question right now to the room. Shouldn't one of these guys be dead by now? But uh, nevertheless, this is a pretty solid entry thanks to an engaged Jordan Chan, who funnily, funnily enough has not aged out of the pot. There's felt passages, which makes us gain an insight into the humanity of that loud womanizer. And I guess the key for these spin-off side stories is the following. Keep writer Manfred Wong and get Andrew Lau as far away from it as possible. So uh, I liked it uh, quite a bit. Uh, there are some problems towards the end, but maybe we'll get into that without spoiling too much. Anyway, uh, what did you think of uh, the, the chicken side story? Those were the days. Yeah, I mean, think of this like... Uh kind of what they had planned to do with Star Wars, you know, with the Star Wars, the Han Solo star story, and then they were going to supposed to do like a Yoda story and an Obi-Wan Kenobi story. It's kind of feels like they're doing the same thing here. They said, okay, we're going to do a Sister 13 standalone story, and now we're going to do a Chicken standalone story. And who knows, maybe if this had done well enough, Jerry we would have gotten the Jerry Lamb yes. standalone story. Finally, I can learn his name. Yeah, I mean, okay, so this is, as I said, this is a prequel, but it's a prequel in retrospect. So there is a a contemporary narrative that's happening, which takes place after Young and Dangerous 5, but before uh, Born to be King. And so <clears throat> some of the threads that carry over from Young and Dangerous 5 are addressed here and then continue on into some of the threads of of born to be king so if you go in and you watch young and dangerous five and then watch born to be king without watching this film uh you will have some questions <laughs> and this film will answer a few of those questions not that they're life-changing or anything like that um but this film they came out in the same year this one was released a few months earlier in the year it is again very much trying to go for the portland street blues feel and in some ways the look it, it has it has a similar look and uh it leaves behind some of the andrew lau isms if you would want to call it that in terms of some of his technical approaches and i do kind of prefer the filmmaking that's going on here technically to andrew lau style one of the things that i didn't talk about with born to be king is in that film and i saw him do this to some extent in storm warriors or sorry, Storm Riders. He likes to do, especially in some of the action sequences, but he also did it in some of the non-action sequences in Born to be King. These freeze frame shots where there's like action going and then the camera will freeze on a character for like two or three seconds. It's just a weird effect. It's not something that I really care for. And he used it quite a lot throughout Born to be King. And here... In those were the days. There's none of that, and I'm like, this this feels more like the kind of film making that I enjoy. Now that being said, uh, I am not a big fan of Gigi Lam, especially her early work, her early stuff, her more recent stuff. I've come to she's come to grow on me and mature as an actress, but her early stuff, I just really uh, she's always very flat to me she is the equivalent of early Eakin um in terms of some of her flatness here i just felt like her chemistry with jordan chan was not really there for me that's part of the biggest problem i have with this film especially comparing it to portland street blues where i felt that there was a lot of character chemistry going on between the leads here, I just really had a hard time getting into the chemistry that they were trying to build with these characters. 
I, I could I could probably agree on that, but but thankfully I got a lot of uh, substance or nuance of Chicken's character kind of on it on on his own. What makes him tick? Uh, what sensitive sides does he have? And it's not always reliant on the scenes with with Jiggy. A lot of scenes are obviously reliant on that this story works. But um, I thought the, 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 this is really Jordan's movie that way. So uh, some 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 flaws were kind of allowed, I suppose, because uh, I got a lot out of his performance here and his dedication to it. Uh, we'll expand on that, I suppose. Uh, this is not a ten dollar on the fringe, young and dangerous. Uh, it's uh, it's a made in a well enough uh, way professional way and most of the cast are here including Aiken but in a cameo and I guess the first sort of thing you gotta address and theorize about is either they couldn't get him he declined and therefore they had to write Honam out of it Uh, he's mentioned and he appears at a present day uh, cameo I'm thinking busy and he was already committed to Born to be King and couldn't squeeze uh, squeeze this in because it would have required to be the second leading man, at worst, a supporting actor. So it would have required time. So what is your theory? Do you think, uh, do you think he was busy, simply? Yeah, I think he was busy. And as we kind of alluded to, I think he was, you know, maybe done with the Honam role. I mean, if there's a presence that's really missing here, Especially in sort of the, because because there's storytelling happening happening in the contemporary era. There's storytelling that happens when they're kids, which for me is really one of the better parts of the movie. I could have done with more of that. It harkened back almost in some ways to the trilogy that uh, comes about with John Dang, you know, uh, as the the narrator character for the coming of age trilogy with like movies like Over the Rainbow, Under the Skirt. Oh, yeah, the Banana Ripening trilogy. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of gave, in some parts of it, gave a, a, a feel of that. But, you know, of course, they're more in into onto the in a lower income side of things, you would say, because they're living in an estate building and, and whatnot. And I really liked, you know, how they kind of showed the kids coming together. And, and you know, I wanted I wanted more with the kids. Um, and then they kind of jumped to the the actor's playing their teeny age selves is age a problem jordan chan was like 33 or 34 years old at this time not really a problem but i mean again because of their relationship and and whatnot the absence of the honam character in a lot of that era is kind of glaring yeah he's mentioned but i mean you you can spoil one thing for me in the prequel they're both present as characters, right? Chicken and Chan Honam. Yeah, I mean they're they're together through their high in in high school, and and I think the character who isn't there but is there in this one is um, the Michael Tse character of Tim um, Dai Tin, and and so it's it's weird. It's you know, and it's it's, it's almost alternate this one. Like never mind, he's so unmentioned that it's almost like they decided. Well, well, it, it's alternate universe type of stuff, even though we're not doing it for comedic reasons like Once Upon a Time in Tried Society did. But he's mentioned once and where is Honam or he's out. But it, they, he really logically should have been there because they've been buddies for a long time. And the prequel takes place when they're young adults, which they are 
here. So they do intersect, and uh, who knows if they even thought it was necessary to make this fully logic, but logical between each and every movie. But we're talking about it, so clearly, you know, you have questions. Even even if they couldn't get Egan as the actor, I felt like they should have had a young child actor to establish a, a meeting or something with the group of boys. So even even with a, without that being there, it's even of sort of more glaring omission. Be, before we jump into some more specifics, this might not matter at all, but because it cropped up in the translation and then I listened to the soundtrack. Throughout the movie, they switch back and forth, calling chicken, chicken, or they call him cock. And you can hear them say guy on the soundtrack or sangai. Is there a particular reason for that? Or it's the, it's the sim, it's a similar word, so who cares what they use? Well, when, they, when he's a kid they call him uh Siogai, which is like chick a baby chick and then his his character name as an, as we're introduced to him in er, in the original series is is Sangai, which the, it's the character for mountain and then and then chicken right um which i guess he takes you know as his name nickname as he gets older the, their their translations here are just kind of i don't know who they gave this film to but it was somebody who hadn't watched any of the other films yeah it's like if it, like, like the first mention i was like hi cock who's cock oh it's jordan yeah oh boy because it's like one of the ways they used to do these films and i don't know if they were still doing it at this point was basically they just sent the audio to the subtitler so they didn't actually get to see the film this is why in in, in some hong kong films when there's characters talking on the screen and it's like maybe a guy character talking about a girl character to another guy character. He'll say, you know, he, when it, when he should be saying she, you know, it's like, oh, oh he, he's going to d- meet me later for dinner. Because it's two male characters who are talking, but they're talking about a female character who may be not in the scene. For the translator, it's very difficult to understand the context because there's no gendered pronouns in in chinese and cantonese so what they're saying in cantonese not to get too deep in the weeds but they're saying quite which basically means he or she right now if you see what's going on on the screen you can kind of get a sense of the context but with if you're in in some cases when you're just hearing the people saying it you might not be sure who they're talking about or who's being referred to so the gender when you're translating it can be very easily misconstrued. So I think, you know, and there's a couple of cases in this film. First, it's like I said, the translator doesn't seem to have watched any of the films. So they don't know that the character has always been referred to as chicken. Here they're referring to him as cock or rooster, male rooster, right? Okay. Um, but then there's another point where the character, where um, Jordan's character is trying to date Gigi out to a movie and the movie they're talking about um, she refers to as the horny man. <laughs> it's not the movie. The movie they're talking about is Stephen Chow's flirt, flirting or flirtong, depending on which title you're going by, uh, flirting scholar, right? So they couldn't even, I mean, they obviously knew that, that was a popular movie. They knew the name of the movie in Chinese, but they didn't even bother to look up the English title. That's how 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 cheap the translator or the translation was being done at the time. I chuckled because uh, w- when that came on the screen, I didn't know they were referring to the Stephen Chow movie. But th- well, when they mentioned the title in English and Jiggy says, well, I'm, I've been looking forward to that movie. I was like, she's into some nasty stuff. <laughs> like next is she going to say that her favorite actor is Charlie Chow? 
but as a matter of fact, it's kind of wrong. Anyway, um, it's it's interesting as it offers up uh, the connection to to youth, as you mentioned, uh, and uh, it would have been nice to expand on that a little bit more. But we we do get Jordan Chan, and his energy is um, is good. His present, his uh, reactions as as a boss in the present day segments are good as he meets Jiggy's brother. His immediate instance, uh, instinct is not to boss him around and mistreat him, but uh, rather he's open to have a heart-to-heart and, and a catch-up since they ha- had a connection to her sister. And even though I don't think his character, the character of the brother, the Jiggy Lung brother character, it's it seems like a, an element that doesn't truly pay off, but I do like the Jordan Chan interactions that we get a reveal into his... Uh, you know, he's loud, he's a womanizer, but... Here he snaps back into his more human side, his more actual side. And then then we get uh, the views into him as being a confident social kid, even even as a youth. And uh, the young actor they got is energetic. He's not overdoing it. It's fairly charming. It's, it's sort of creepy, by the way, to see young kids harass girls like adults. <laughs> you know, uh, that they, they think they're tough and they think they're hot shit. So they, they can just uh, harass girls in any way they like at a young age. But, but it's not a huge statement by Manfred Wong and uh, Raymond Yip. So, um, but uh, it offers up this uh, new vibe to the Young and Dangerous um, universe that we get a uh, flashback as far as uh, childhood. But um, as you said, we, we mostly spend time with the young adult chicken, Michael Says, uh, teen character and Jerry Lamb. And they're here. They're they're as energetic as the material uh, allows for, and it's it's comforting to have them back and uh, not uh, recast. I suppose we, we gotta spoil it. And if I remember correctly, if we Michael Se appears in the present day segments in this movie too, but he's supposed to be dead. Yeah, I think he's in the center. In, in the center segments. I don't think he shows up in the present day. Cause the, so, so, he, so he wasn't at the wedding? Uh, that's no, my, I don't think he was uh, at the wedding. Okay, okay. So they, um, they, they did think, as a matter of fact. Because uh, I, I, I got a little confused. That I think he's supposed to be dead. But uh, then I might have messed up the timeline, which makes you think that I wasn't that much of a fan of Young and Dangerous. And you'd be right. that uh, I don't <laughs> remember everything, every nook and cranny of, uh, of what goes on here. And holy hell, I mean, Jason Chu has died twice. So who knows how easy it is to keep track of if he's supposed to be here. But but I do like that that, that the role here. Um, and they're, they're also dedicated to the series. And neither of them feel strangely too old for it. it, it it's okay. You get over it fairly quickly. Um, I only looked up out of curiosity. I wonder how old Jordan Chan was. He's pretty good at this. But I wonder how old he was. Oh my god, he was 34. You gotta have an actor to play young here, and uh, I mean, can you sense that, uh, especially Jordan, that uh, he felt dedicated to the role, that it, uh, that he was ready to expand on it, or was this a, a phoned-in thing? Again, and I think this speaks to your confusion a little bit. Um, having them play kind of the the pre-young and dangerous one teenage selves. Um, in 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 those in some of the scenes, I think is a, is a bit of a stretch, and it's a, it can be a bit confusing. Especially, I mean, again, understand too that this is in 2000, and you've already had the prequel two years earlier in in 98, and so you've had the establishment of 
these characters as teenagers and, and what they were like by different actors, obviously. But then to bring, you know, Jordan and 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 Michael and Jason and, and Jerry to do it, even for, you know, uh, the, the, these sequences in the middle, it's a little bit jarring. I mean, it, it's fine to kind of see them do it, but maybe perhaps it's, uh, you know, they, they spend a bit too much time there and, you know, it just it just can be head scratching, I think, if you're really trying to piece the narrative threads together sometimes. Did it as a matter of did, did that take over or did you start to invest in Chicken's story the more he interacted with Jiggy uh, Lung's uh, family? And did the movie start to find a, a groove where he started to focus on his desires to be a rascal, trying to be tough, but also eventually there is a sensitive side to this character, especially in his interaction with uh, with Jiggy, but certainly her mother as well, who's played by uh, a veteran actress, uh, Lily Lee. So did it start to sort of take you on a journey the more we uh, got to know him? In a sense, but again, for me, the big barrier is the chemistry between him and, and Gigi Lang. For me, it was not as engaging as some of the character chemistry we've had from you know other relationships. And I mean, up to this point, We've seen him, as I mentioned, he, he he's he's gotten married, or at least I think he got married in, in Young and Dangerous 2. Then he had this sort of rock and roll relationship with Karen Mock um, in, in the later ones. And then, you know, so now it's kind of back to this idea that, well, you know, Chicken, he's the womanizer. He's the playboy of the group, but he's not really like that. And here's why. So I think they're trying to kind of dial it back. And even from the, the prequel, which we'll eventually get to, the prequel does not present this side of him during this period. So I don't know if they were, again, trying to go for kind of award bait material as they were going with Portland, Portland Street Blues. I just I wasn't really getting into the relationship, I think, as much as they had intended. As I mentioned, it is uh, not terribly memorable but i managed to latch on that too and maybe it's my fandom of jordan chanda really speaks volumes of my of me liking to see him here on screen because i always liked him as, as an actor and i uh, always thought he brought uh, an energy and a uh, sincerity to what he's doing uh, whether it's dramatic or action oriented this key component of his sort of excess energy and uh, being lustful uh, it apparently never left the character it was always there but it's not as it's not a cheap component as jordan i think is quite good at balancing the over-the-top energies of chicken and also his sensitivity is brought out a little bit more uh, even if the chemistry isn't uh, immaculate uh, or anything so i i found myself being um, fairly captivated by all of uh, all of this, and I mean, even there, 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 there's some nice little character beats here. His his youthful inexperience shows here. He thinks that he needs to protect and wants to protect Jiggy, so he thinks that almost like bodily harm is like the straight road to her heart. I think at one point he shows her like, "I look at me, I'm so injured for you," and it's completely like wrong-headed and insecure. And those are beats that I enjoy seeing Jordan um, perform. And I think he rises to the occasion too and acting with uh, Lily Lee. There's a scene at a hospital bed where he is there to listen to someone expressing respect and love for who he is. And those are good 
award baits for for Lily Lee, as a supporting actress perhaps. Man, that's uh, stuff I get captivated by, and it's sold well enough. And he shows he's a good listener as an actor, too. And uh, as I said, I've always find the character more interesting, um, and it has the most the series most engaging actor. So. It, it was a continuation of that as well that uh, there, there's no true true dislike but the dramatic core that Portland Street Blues developed I mean that, that's miles ahead of this really so Raymond Yip isn't doing another gem or anything like Portland uh, Street Blues so my final point for now amazingly enough and I don't know what you think when you think back on the series I never thought Chicken was truly unlikable despite being the loud, louder counterpart to Honam, but I think it also comes down to if the writing wasn't there, Jordan had a sense of spicing up, uh, you know, scenes present, loud, engaged, wanting to be there, and enjoying uh, the excess that the role uh, comes with. So I think uh, there, there are ripples from the main series that feed into this, where I felt myself like feeling that I I I, I like following this and getting uh, some additional insights, even if. Little of it actually seems to be focused on how Jordan and Jiggy interact. But but I totally get that. If you're going to place that as a main component, and if that doesn't work in your eyes, then you have a problem with uh, momentum and uh, getting to to dramatic good places. But uh, we never really talked about that. Chicken, like, was this uh, key component of the series that you liked more or the most? Or what do you think, uh, thinking back on, on him and his energy throughout the series? Well, I think as an actor, Jordan Chan has a great range. Um, he can go from being silly and comedic to angry to serious, right? Um, he's got films that run the spectrum. And I think you can say the same now of Eakin, but at this time, you couldn't. Um, I think Eakin was kind of typecast into the leading man sort of pretty boy role comic book hero yeah he wasn't really given the ability to do a lot of range uh in this early era i think if you look at some of his later stuff he's gone on to do some really good romantic comedy stuff some some very good serious stuff and and even some angry acting at times but early Eakin, i think is is as we've discussed before is pretty flat whereas early jordan was was certainly not another thing that i think really stands out regarding Jordan with this film is the soundtrack. This comes down to personal preference, but, you know, Eakin's done a lot of soundtracks, but I think Jordan is just a better vocalist and singer uh, than Eakin is. Again, that's just my personal preference, but he does two um, pop ballads. One is one that will be recognizable, and then he's got another one that's done in here as well. And I think in addition to his pop ballads, there's a nice musical score which is done at various times throughout to accent, you know, some of the riffs from those ballads. It's just a really nice soundtrack. It's something that kept coming back in my mind as I went through the film uh, and, and these moments would play out that it was used really, really well, much more so than in the other films. Don't email Paul fanboys of, uh, <laughs> of Eakin or anything. So. I like Eakin too, but... You know, if I'm going to listen to some music, it's probably going to be Jordan first. <laughs> Again, look, looking back on the movie, um, Jiggy and Jordan's uh, connection, it wasn't truly dramatically impactful, but I was fairly engaged in the fact that 
they might be connected and have infatuation for each other but they're pulling in such different directions have such different goals that there's really there really is no point in trying because violence is gonna stand in the way of that and that and that leads to better violent impactful scenes that young and andrew lau was never really good at at conveying that uh, to us Uh, there's a couple of instances here where the chicken is um because of the life he's chosen that means violence every now and again he kills at least two people in this movie and um therefore needs to flee and that puts a stop to desire to uh decide to connect uh, trying to connect and i think those um scenes for instance that uh, confrontation with um is it uh, philip kern the, yes. the, the loud-mouthed um triad rival to um to brother b so frankie mm, is back in this movie again you know without being graphic or anything that that's pretty decent actually i mean again there's there's some blurry slow-mo here that does no service to the chaos but i think i I was engaged in a scene like that because i was engaged in the fact that chicken is um uh, he's uh, breaking uh, promises he's missing out and he's uh, breaking promises and uh, he uses his anger instead in that situation because he doesn't want to be there and I thought that that was pretty decent. Uh, it finds uh, a groove with um, Chicken, though, those character frequencies, um, uh, as we get uh, examples of that. And uh, and uh, the movie then transfers to Taiwan for a little bit. So we get some Taiwanese fishing village uh, hiding out, which is a, a contrast, Paul, to how hiding out in Taiwan seemed to be when uh, Young and Dangerous 2 was around. Because then you can meet your cousin and go to clubs you know everything's great but here he has to hide out in a fishing village so the movie um isn't uh you know taking chicken around to um to various clubs and uh popping viagra like uh like in born to be king and things like that so is it still a, a little bit above the level that you'd expect andrew lau i mean if andrew lau was in charge of a story like this a side story do you think we would have had a lesser movie do you think separating andrew lau Putting Manfred Wong's writing and Raymond Yip's touches to character character stuff and these backstories is it beneficial for for this movie for this universe to pry Andrew Lau away from it all? As a matter of fact, well, it is for me. I mean, um, I, again, I, I appreciate the storytelling and the filmmaking, especially from the technical side of it, a bit more in this film and in Portland Street Blues than in some of the other entries. As I said, the the Achilles heel for me in this film really comes down to the chemistry. Without getting too much into like sort of TMZ, Daily Mail kind of stuff. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> it's interesting to think about the timing of this film. So this coming out in um, the earlier part of 2000, and I'm assuming made in early 2000, late 1999. What was happening in 1999? Well, the big, the big TMZ news of the era was that... Uh, Eakin had broken up with his then-girlfriend, uh, Maggie Sue, and he had a new girlfriend, none other than Gigi Lang, Lang Wing Kei. How, how interesting that she suddenly finds herself with a pretty major character role in uh, a spin-off Young and Dangerous movie. And, and Aiken said, I'm going to be in the entire movie because I'm going <laughs> to look after my girlfriend. <laughs> and maybe that's one of the reasons why he... Because a lot, you know, he was really upset at the time with a lot of the paparazzi and media exposure prying into his personal life uh, back in 99. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he chose not to be in this film that much because of the focus on their relationship 
and kind of his romantic break from Maggie Shu. I'm just speculating here, but that could be a reason why we don't get much from him in this film. And, and maybe to keep the focus on what the movie is and uh, what his girlfriend is doing, uh, rather than being being around, hanging out on the set and uh, snapshots uh, taken that way. And uh, Denver story is anything but the chicken story. So maybe an honorable choice to uh, stay busy elsewhere. That's a part of the industry that I know nothing of, uh, really. I never really followed that stuff. Who's, who's, who's with who and uh, who's being left behind and... Uh, things like that but uh, you know it uh, it gets the attention of media and there is uh, a readership for such things so i gather they would ride that wave of uh, gossip for weeks and weeks uh, at that point you know and yeah and yes they're famous people they're they're not truly private but uh, enough's enough at one point you know in terms of covering someone's breakup and new relationship and uh speculate speculate widely i I just hope to god there wasn't like this 24-hour gossip channel on hong kong tv regurgitating this shit i think it was more the the tabloid magazines of the era which are still very very much present today i recall reading that there was a lot of vitriol and hate against Gigi lung who was blamed by the eakin fan community for having kind of inserted herself between uh, Ikin and, and Maggie Sue and being kind of the cause for the breakup. And, wh- and what did you think in 1999-2000 uh, about that, Paul? I, 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 I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that it's, you know, because Ikin came out and said no, that, you know, he had, they had already broken up and that uh, it wasn't anything to do with Gigi, that he had promised to keep his you know personal relationship with maggie on the down low and not to let it out there so you know you know how fans are they're gonna they're gonna fan rage um it was no different then than it is today and i mean in in hindsight i mean what's gone on i mean uh they broke up in the mid 2000s he had a seven-year relationship with yo young mung and they ended up getting married i think they're still married and then Gigi went and married some french guy and he showed up in uh her last movie with uh, pang ho chung so aberdeen specifically is that the one? no 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 uh the, the new year movie uh, misbehavior okay gotcha gotcha yeah um well some final notes i, I think um the, the the weaker aspects for me are the following some dramatic moments are a bit insecure as handled um they um they call each other at one point uh, he's in taiwan and uh, she's in uh, hong kong and uh all of a sudden there's a swelling score for the phone conversation which i don't think was needed it was a low-key scene it didn't need um to have that much uh manipulated emotion um, in there the last 1520 that introduces the character of uh, chris chong played by sex sao i think is kind of weak uh weak late late introduction of of a foe it's so quickly wrapped up as it seemingly is wrapped up it's a little bit extended and it means we got a tragic ending that i could spot seven eight minutes before it happened oh, sexile won't give up that easily as effective as i thought earlier sections were it didn't time a knot on the emotional connection that uh, jordan chan and jiggy Lung as characters uh, had in the movie i thought it was uh, a rather stock tragic ending 
and uh, so so it took the movie down uh, not quite a bit but it uh, it really didn't end up being this gasp moment that uh, made sense dramatically uh, even portland street blues had trouble concluding matters it um, turned uh, triad tropey to an extent uh, but that movie had done so much well before in the early 100 minutes that it's okay it's okay we won't forget stuff but um stuff that happened earlier in the movie but uh, here i thought uh, they um, they didn't earn that uh, tragedy although they did they, they tried to play it um in a decent unexpected way i suppose but um it, it didn't do anything for me as such so so i just have one more note but i'm gonna throw it to you if uh, you, you want to share anything about um if, if the movie earned to go out uh, go out on on darkness uh, that way or if it was just sort of quickly introduced uh, too quickly introduced yeah no it's uh it's an 11th hour plot device that they say hey guess what we've got to do something about this character <laughs> uh what are we going to do and uh, again if you've had the fortune or misfortune to see born to be king and you realize that there's a wedding in Born to be King between a character called Chicken and uh, the actress Anya, uh, you know that uh, something's afoot, right? You know that uh, something's not going to line up. And the way that they sell this movie is that uh, uh, Gigi Lung's character is the love of his life, which, fine, okay, but you know what's coming. (laughs) Let's just throw out a little bit of speculation here to uh characters and again i this is probably taken from comic plot arcs that may you know follow this same kind of narrative structure for these characters in in various ways just like you know western comics will do from time to time i can imagine born to be king carrying over from this film with a wedding to a different character and it would have been just fine <laughs> we didn't need the wedding to uh sunny chiva's yakuza tied daughter but even so i think they're going for effect here the problem is is as you said they bring in uh the chris chong character played by sex sao who is suddenly this new bad guy and he's got all the typical sort of two-dimensional bad guy traits he suddenly is beating his wife and you know of course that's going to get chicken all riled up and when you think things have gotten better for the couple up Something happens, and uh, here here we are. But the biggest problem I have is that knowing what we know about the chicken character from all of these films up to this point, knowing the kind of character he is, knowing what this film is trying to sell us about how he feels about the, the Gigi Lung character, there is no resolution at all. I mean, you have Gregory Lee... Uh, Lee Wing Ho uh, playing the brother character, uh, Lock Wing Ho. And you know, he serves as kind of the narrator at, at a few points. And I, I think, you know, he, he, he has a he has sort of a parallel structure with a relationship that he has with a girl that's very similar to one of the scenes that happens early on with uh, Gigi and, and um, Jordan Chan's character. And I thought I thought all that worked fine. But you have this idea that he's trying to say, this is the story. You know Chicken as this womanizing sort of hothead character, but actually he's more than that. He's this deep down soulmate romantic guy, and here's why. That's the premise of this film. If you want to sell me that premise, fine. 
the chemistry didn't work really well, but fine. But by the end of that, you're going to pull out this plot thing and then you're just going to leave it there. No way in heck. We need a scene of prison of, of chicken saying, I'm going to prison and I'm going to track this down guy down in prison and, you know, I'll get myself arrested. I'll do whatever I have to do because this was the love of my life and this guy's going down by my hand. And then we don't get anything like that. And instead we get born to be king. Oh, Sonny Chiba's daughter. Yeah. It it really, that is the one of the biggest detractors for me because it doesn't slip smoothly into the main uh, storylines, uh, making me uh, have to sort of hypnotize myself that this is alternate, this has nothing to do with anything else, and let's just imagine that it has nothing to do with anything else because it isn't very well planned out. Um, in uh, I mean, Marvel probably does a better job intersecting I mean, it would have lines. made more sense for them to bring out the, the age-old trope of, oh, they're driving to the registry, and here comes a Mack truck and hits the car accidentally. And, you know, oh, no, it's tragic. Oh, well, off to Taiwan. You know, they could have ended it like that. And it would have at least felt like a more a sense of finality than yeah. the way they end kind of just like, oh, and, you know, so if you see Chicken and you think he's not a romantic soul, then you're wrong. There's much more to him. The end. <laughs> Sorry, that's not the end. There's a script out there that is called Chicken's Revenge. <laughs> and the whole movie is Chicken uh, going after Sexo. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, they're ambitious in terms of uh, we made money making one, two, and three, so let, let's expand, let's be ambitious, and spin-offs here and there. But they're not doing a stellar job connecting everything and uh, expanding it into something epic. So you, you, you almost nearly have to uh, treat it as a standalone and imagine that there's nothing... Um, it has nothing to do with anything this one which is why i think once upon a time in try society works so well because it clearly is part of that universe but it just you know making a middle finger gesture to it well we uh we can play with you but we uh we want nothing to do with you because we're funny on our own and that's gonna work for us but uh you don't need to worry about us we're fine we were gonna play here and it's gonna be separate and uh, you don't need to worry about uh, continuity and uh, we're gonna be better also so haha but but i think i can put myself in that frame of mind that uh, yes i know it connects to things but um it's uh it can be a standalone movie but all proper real criticisms though <laughs> in actual fact so he isn't that much of a total genius man for Wong, of course but uh, his writing does come to life a little bit more when pried away from Andrew Lau. We've seen that with uh, Portland Street Blues and now um, and now this for me. It is the end of my notes, but uh, I just wanted to ask if uh, the uh, wedding cameo parade was uh, any fun for you. Now that you got to see the wedding that you said, well, where's the wedding in Born to be King that Sandra and Vincent Juan are talking about? Where is it? Well, here it is. So... Were you satisfied uh, that that thread could be uh, was like properly reinstated? That uh, that uh, or, or, or did you say to yourself, "Hey, I want a prequel movie as to where where the romance happened between the bisexual sister thirteen and Vincent one"? Then those were the days, and then Born to Be King. Then it's complete. Or what did you think <laughs> seeing seeing that backstory of them getting married here? Yep, I got to do a check off of my satisfaction checklist for uh, supporting character threads. Um, and I thought that was a, 
it was nicely handled and they bring in uh you know again a few of the supporting characters we get to see christy young uh briefly we get to see of course you get to see uh eakin in very very brief and then he's out and then they have to say why he's out and uh, i think uh lee su has an appearance as well so you know i i think it yeah it for, for continuity nerds like myself it uh, it checks a few narrative boxes and uh, the most important issue of uh, that cameo parade around uh, the wedding is uh, not just that anthony wong is back as taifei but in the wedding photo he picks his nose yeah at the at the as they click finger up his nose like continuity <laughs> but he's great i thought anthony was great he has some very colorful discussions on the phone and he speaks to sex Sao at one point who's um uh, his business empire is in england so i think uh, taifei is talking about uh well, how does uh, erotica sell you know in england you know, i want to do artful porno books as the translation goes so taifei always the businessman he's got saunas he's got uh, pirate vcds and uh, he's uh, always uh, always thinking and um always uh, being a bit um, <laughs> on the low-grade hygiene hygienic side i suppose but uh, he's the businessman thriving uh, but uh, that's uh, the end of my notes uh, for those were the days so uh, which one out of the seven or eight those were the days in the 90s do you remember offhand <laughs> I, can, I can name I can name three there's one with Nat Chan I know yeah he's in that um, one those were the days where they go back to 1960s and it's a uh, Francis M- M plays Patrick Chair and it's uh, it's about the cinema of the time and there's also a Billy Tang movie called those were the days about the drug addiction so but there's a couple of more <laughs> Uh, but uh, any other notes, or should we talk of availability? Uh, like I said, if uh, if you've made it through to this point, congratulations, you uh, achievement unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens after we complete uh, complete it with the prequel and what have you? Hey, hey just for my own um, uh, satisfaction here, uh, let me take a guess: uh, who plays chicken in the prequel? Would that be Sam Lee? Ding 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 ding! Yes, got it. Because yeah, if you know your um, the character frequency and the actor frequency that Sam Lee was bringing to Hong Kong cinema after Made in Hong Kong, which was often comedic and uh, loud and exaggerated, then I'm thinking, hmm, that's a good fit for um, for Chicken. So, so uh, Nick Chase, Chan Honam, Daniel Wu, I can't even think uh, of who he's supposed to be. Certainly not Jerry Lam, but uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. He's a uh, big head, uh, Chin Kala. Ah, okay, gotcha. Excellent. Oh, the the interesting thing too is uh, the the actress that uh, we end on, we also begin on Miss uh, Shuke herself. We, we we've gotten through it all, but uh, my head still hurts in terms of the recasting that's going on in this uh, in this series. <laughs> but I think we got it mostly right. I just was confused in regards to those were the days. I thought one person was going to be dead, but supposed to be dead, but apparently not. But now I need to lay down anyway. Because uh, it's uh, it's taking a toll on you to cover these things, but I'm happy to do it. Happy to complete the coverage. And as for availability, the Universe DVD of uh, those were the days that was released in Hong Kong back in the day. It is out of print, so the film is a bit elusive uh, officially. So hopefully, you can find it used for a rational uh, uh, at a rational price level, or uh, what comes to worst somewhere on the internet. But uh, Paul uh, bought it uh, back in the day and uh, retrieved it from his archive so we could watch it for the show. So thanks to Paul for uh, picking it up back in the day. Thanks to physical media. <laughs> it's uh, not bound to come out on 
on high definition anytime soon or on iTunes and what have you. So, um, uh, but yeah, uh, that's us. So we'll be back for uh, to properly conclude it with the prequel and then um, talk of the Golden Job the cast reunion movie as a sort of relaxed uh, final uh, final nail in the coffin, I guess, of um, of the series. But uh, We'll, uh, we'll be back uh, in a later episode and uh, in the meantime for all your podcast on fire network needs including the back catalog of uh, podcast on fire and of course uh, the young and dangerous coverage go to podcastonfire.com we also have bonus episodes uh, available to you connected to uh, whatever show really could be a this week in sleeves bonus episode or a what's korean bonus episode and uh, follow the social media links available in the show post and any relevant links uh, connected to this episode will be in the show post as well so that's me plugged out so i'm gonna throw over to paul to plug his podcast yep it is east screen west screen and you can check us out on concast.com good 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 well let's um say goodbye for this episode so having can be with me to uh, discuss this part of the ever ever so complex uh, young and dangerous uh, universe was paul fox so say goodbye buddy. honking for life